Okay, good evening, everyone. I think we're going to go ahead and, and get started. Um, I want to welcome you to the first quarterly public forum of 2018 of the uh, Denver Citizens Oversight Board. My name is Katina Banks. I'm the chair of the Citizens Oversight Board. Um, I, I, I really want to say, you know, I'm, I'm just, we, we hold these uh, quarterly public forums, you know, um, annually and, and we really try to get out to the community and, and frankly since I've been on the board uh, the last couple of years I, this is definitely the largest public forum that, that we've had and um, I, I just want to uh, acknowledge you all for, for being here, for being present and engaged in uh, these very important issues. Um, so first let me go ahead and introduce the folks who are here on the panel um, and, uh, and give you a little bit uh, of an idea of the, uh, the agenda. Um, to uh, your left, my right, at the very end is uh, Cisco uh, Guerrero, uh, and then Dr. Mary Davis, uh, Nikki Brazil, um, we have Molly Gallegos, and uh, Pastor Burleston, and then uh, the independent monitor, uh, Nick Mitchell. Uh, I, I want to acknowledge that there are a few folks in the audience that I think we should recognize. Um, first of all, um, Councilman Paul Cashman is here. Um, Thank you, Councilman, for being here. We appreciate it. Um, also, I, I, I would be remiss without acknowledging that members of uh, Mr. Marshall's family, um, they're here as well. And uh, I want to thank you as well. Uh, with that being said, uh, let's talk a little bit about the agenda and then, and then we'll, we'll get moving. Um, I, I first want to talk to you a little bit about the COB, uh, what the Citizen Oversight Board uh, does, and, and then I'll introduce um, our keynote for this evening, um, the independent monitor who, as you know from the invitation, is going to be um, basically talking with us about the independent uh, review and report that his office prepared with respect to the, the death of uh, Michael Marshall um, when he was in custody um, at, with the Denver Sheriff's Department. So uh, the COB, we, we are uh, created by city ordinance, but we're, we're now in the charter, as well as the Office of Independent Monitor. And we actually have three essential functions. Uh, first and foremost, we're, we're to assess the effectiveness of the Office of Independent Monitor. Uh, we also issue policy recommendations uh, regarding issues such as investi how investigations are going, uh, disciplinary process, and the like. And finally, we're tasked with considering issues that are important to the community, um, that affect the community, and, and we, we endeavor to stay informed regarding complaints um, and, and make recommendations. Um, so those three functions, as you, you didn't hear, what you didn't hear is that we, we, we have any kind of responsibilities or uh, authority over the law enforcement agencies that we oversee. Um, so how we carry out our, um, our advisory duties is with frequent me meetings um, and consultations, both with the monitor as well as with um, members of the safety department. So 
at least quarterly, we meet with the executive director of safety, uh, the sheriff, and the, the chief of police. Um, we also meet with the monitor and get reports from him and his staff about important investigations or issues with regard to discipline. And we, we also meet with members of the community as needed. And, and these meetings help the board to monitor um, confidential internal investigations and, and keep us informed on current policies. And, and also it allows us to make suggestions and, and give feedback to members of law enforcement. Um, and more recently, uh, from time to time, we, we also make policy recommendations. And, and we, we really endeavor to try to be as engaged in the process as we can, um, given uh, some of the restrictions in the ordinance. I want to speak just very quickly a little bit more about our board meetings. Um, those happen typically on the first and third Friday of um, every month, and we have regular working sessions, and that's when we, we meet with like the chief of police, et cetera. Um, with the exception of some executive sessions where we're talking about um, actual ongoing investigations, these meetings are open to the public. Um, it's even the meetings with the sheriff, the executive director in safety, and um, the police chief. Um, so we encourage you to, to come to those meetings if you're able to. Um, finally, we're tasked with conducting public meetings, and we do that um, throughout the metro area. Um, so, so similar to tonight, we'll, we'll be trying to connect with other members of the community throughout the year to talk about issues of, uh, related to law enforcement, criminal justice reform, and civilian oversight. Uh, with that said, now you have a little bit of background and you know who we are, um, I, I want to move us along to the presentation. Um, after the presentation, we um, intend to have a community talk back and we'll, we'll want to break, you out, break out into individual sessions, uh, groups, and talk through um, what we learned from the monitor in his report. Uh, with that said, uh, let me go ahead and introduce for you uh, tonight um, Denver Interpen Denver's Independent Monitor, Monitor Nick, Nick Mitchell, who's is basically going to share with us um, what his office uh, observed um, and experienced um, throughout the, the process of the investigation as well as um, the disciplinary process with respect to Mr. Marshall's death. Thank you. Thank you very much, Madam Chair, uh, and I, uh, I surely appreciate the invitation to be here and to discuss uh, this important subject and I, and I think this um, important report with you tonight. Uh, I was asked by the COB to present a report that we issued this week uh, on the death of Michael Marshall uh, at this forum tonight and, and without um, uh, without really any further ado, I'm just going to I'm going to jump uh, right into that uh, subject. Um, on November 11th, 2015, um, Denver as a let me just uh, frame this uh, by way of introduction. Um, this is sort of how we became involved in the case and why we issued this report this week. Uh, on November 11th, 2015, sheriff deputies used force on Mr. Marshall resulting in a medical emergency and his eventual death. A criminal investigation was conducted, resulting in no criminal charges. Um, the Denver Sheriff Department's Internal Affairs Bureau conducted an internal investigation after the criminal case was, after the criminal investigation had concluded, and my office actively monitored the internal investigation being conducted by the Internal Affairs Bureau. 
The Department of Safety ultimately suspended two deputies for the use of inappropriate force, 10 and 16 days, uh, and a captain for failing to supervise to prevent the use of inappropriate force uh, against Michael Marshall, uh, and that captain was suspended for 10 days. Uh, the city and Mr. Marshall's family ultimately reached a settlement that included a $4.65 million cash payment and an agreement to make certain policy and training changes within the Sheriff Department. Earlier this week, uh, my office released a report providing an independent review of the incident, the investigation, and the disciplinary decisions made by Denver's Department of Safety. It's a, it's a lengthy document. We have several copies um, up at the front for your reference, as well as a two-page executive summary that's a little bit easier to digest. Uh, we're making eight recommendations, eight actionable recommendations for change, uh, and our goal uh, in producing that report was to help the Sheriff Department and to help the city to learn from this death so that future incidents can be prevented in the jails. Um, for additional factual background, um, Michael Marshall was being held at the downtown detention center uh, on a $100 bond. He was assigned a mental health code for inmates with major mental illness. Um, on the day in question, he began behaving erratically and attempted to enter a jail hallway without the permission of deputy sheriffs. Deputies restrained Mr. Marshall on the ground in the prone position in handcuffs and leg irons while he intermittently struggled. Mr. Marshall vomited, lost consciousness, and regained it. During the incident, medical staff expressed concern that Mr. Marshall would aspirate his vomit but he was restrained prone on the ground for almost five additional minutes. Deputies eventually moved him to a restraint chair and he again lost consciousness. Deputies performed CPR, he was transported to Denver Health and was in a coma for nine days before being removed from life support and dying. The medical examiner found that Mr. Marshall died from, among other things, complications of positional asphyxia to include aspiration pneumonia due to physical restraint by law enforcement. Um, that's the factual background. There's obviously much more to discuss. Uh, we go in, in, into depth into the facts of the incident in the report. That's the bare bones of, of, the, of the factual scenario that we're talking about. Um, I want to say some positive things about what the Sheriff's Department did after this incident. Um, after the incident, the department invested in crisis intervention training. Uh, it is my understanding, based on representations from the department, that all sworn staff are now receiving 40 hours of crisis intervention training, um, uh, uh, I, I believe, uh, during uh, the beginning of their tenure as deputy sheriffs. Crisis intervention training is a very useful methodology uh, for de-escalating uh, incidents involving persons suffering from mental health issues uh, or mental health crises. Uh, I've been out to the academy. I've seen the crisis intervention training being offered. I think it's high quality. I think it's going to be helpful for deputy sheriffs working in our jails. Um, Another positive thing that was done is the department re-engineered its use of force policy. Um, the new use of force policy adopted by the Sheriff's Department includes a more restrictive standard for when deputy sheriffs can use force. Uh, 
and it emphasizes de-escalation uh, as an approach to dealing with incidents rather than resorting to force first. It emphasizes de-escalation first. That's a positive. Um, the department also improved its use of restraints policy. Uh, the old policy said uh, uh, almost nothing about the use of spit hoods. In this case, a spit hood was applied to Mr. Marshall, uh, and the new policy significantly limits the circumstances in which deputy sheriffs can use spit hoods on inmates in Denver's jails. Those are all positive developments and things, initiatives that were undertaken after this incident. Um, I also want to comment uh, on the settlement that was negotiated between uh, the family and the city. Um, I believe that the settlement included uh, a number of significant terms. Um, uh, so there were some commitments to improving mental health services in the jails, uh, including adding full-time mental health professionals, um, uh, annual doing annual in-service training on mental illness and use of force for deputy sheriffs, uh, and new requirements that deputies contact mental health professionals when certain kinds of issues are detected. Those changes were brought about uh, through the efforts of the family uh, and, and, and the city, uh, and I think those are significant and important changes um, that have been made. I want to talk about some of our findings about uh, deficiencies and concerns that we identified in the way the Sheriff's Department uh, and the Department of Safety handled this case. Um, the Internal Affairs Bureau uh, is an internal function. Uh, it's an internal unit of the Sheriff's Department, uh, and it's charged with investigating allegations of misconduct against Denver Sheriff's Department deputies. Um, by policy uh, and according to national standards, internal affairs investigations should be thorough, complete, and impartial. They should provide sufficient information that a reviewer need not resort to surmise, prejudice, or assumption. Internal investigations are to be conducted in an objective manner, with no effort made to slant any investigation for either the benefit or detriment of the subject officers. As I mentioned before, uh, my staff actively monitored the Internal Affairs Bureau investigation. We were present for every interview of every witness, every subject deputy. Um, we made recommendations, non-binding recommendations throughout uh, that were intended to ensure that the interviews and the investigation were conducted thoroughly and fairly. Um, as we discussed in the report, approximately one month after beginning the investigation, in the Internal Affairs Bureau submitted it as completed to my office. Um, at that time, IAB had not interviewed any of the deputies involved in the use of force or the nurses who responded to the medical emergency call. Uh, now, the DPD had interviewed those individuals. I want to make that clear. But the interviews conducted by the Denver Police Department focused on whether there had been criminal conduct. They were a part of the determination of whether anyone should be criminally charged. The DPD interviews did not focus on potential violations of Denver Sheriff Department policy, which is a very separate question. Uh, and, and those were the questions that needed to be answered as part of the internal investigation conducted by the Internal Affairs Bureau. Um, 
Upon receiving the uh, investigation that had been deemed complete, my office made detailed recommendations to the Internal Affairs Bureau and others within the safety uh, uh, hierarchy, if you will, regarding the deficiencies of that investigation. IAB subsequently interviewed the deputies who were involved in the incident uh, and then attempted to decline the case for any further investigation, review, or disciplinary action. Uh, and we go through this, I'm giving you a fairly high-level summary of uh, the sort of procedural posture, we would say, for, you know, for lawyers, the procedure, uh, the back and forth on this case. We go through uh, much greater detail in the report itself. Um, I'll tell you that by policy, IAB can decline cases only if it is clear that no rules or regulations were violated by any personnel, any sworn personnel involved in the incident. The Internal Affairs Bureau provided a draft decline letter uh, that asserted its conclusions at that time about the incident. And I'm going to quote from that letter, quote, the complaint against the Denver Sheriff Department has been investigated thoroughly, and the outcome of this investigation was made after careful consideration of all the evidence, statements, and circumstances surrounding the incident. It concluded that the deputies and supervisors in this incident performed within the policies and procedures set forth by the Denver Sheriff Department. The minimum amount of force was utilized to control inmate Marshall as he appeared to be in an excited delirium state. Um, the attempt to decline this case with a, uh, a summary letter, if you will, uh, was, was very troubling to my office for a number of reasons, uh, probably principal among them uh, that this attempt to decline happened after IAB and others had substantial evidence of potential misconduct in the case that necessitated a review, a disciplinary review, and disciplinary decisions uh, in this particular case. This included the medical examiner's conclusions about the cause of death. Uh, it included the video showing a deputy applying pressure to Mr. Marshall for an extended period of, t period of time after he had gone limp and was restrained in handcuffs and leg irons. Uh, it included a statement by a nurse on scene uh, that she had asked the deputy to remove pressure from Mr. Marshall's body due to her concerns about his breathing, uh, and that the deputy refused to relieve pressure on Mr. Marshall in the ways suggested. Had the decline proposed by internal affairs been permitted, there would have been no disciplinary review of this case. Um, ultimately, uh, we made additional recommendations um, the case did go on to be reviewed for discipline and uh, the disciplinary decisions that uh, I've already described, you know, the, the, the suspensions that I've already described were imposed. Um, but we were very troubled by what we saw in the Internal Affairs Bureau's handling of this incident. And so one of, one of the recommendations that we're making in this report, uh, we're recommending that the Sheriff's Department make changes to the culture of its Internal Affairs Bureau to ensure that serious cases are investigated thoroughly and impartially as required by policy. Um, we believe that may include but not be limited to placing the management of IAB under civilian control. <clears throat> um, 
we include extensive discussion of the disciplinary decisions themselves in the report. Uh, and the first area that we touch upon is the sergeants who are present on the scene for this incident. Um, there were multiple deputy sheriffs involved in the use of force. Uh, there was a captain who stood in the hallway, as I've already described, and received a, a suspension. There were three sergeants who were on scene throughout the incident. Um, uh, and they primarily watched from the corridor hallway throughout. Uh, as I said, the Department of Safety suspended a captain for his failure to supervise, but not the three sergeants who were actually closest to the incident. Um, Sheriff Department policy requires sergeants to, quote, ensure safe and proper use of force. None of the sergeants on scene took action to prevent the use of inappropriate force against Mr. Marshall, or even asked questions to understand why the deputies were continuing to restrain him in the prone position. We believe that it was an error to uh, discipline the deputy sheriffs and not the sergeants who were supervising them and implicitly approving of their conduct by standing in the hallway silently throughout the incident. We focus in the report on one deputy uh, in particular and on the findings and discipline imposed upon him. Uh, one of the deputies uh, applied pressure to various, was found to have applied pressure to various vital sensitive areas of inmate Marshall's body on and off for approximately 11 minutes after inmate Marshall was heavily restrained in the prone position and had already gone unconscious and vomited. This deputy continued to apply pressure despite inmate Marshall gasping for air and continuing to, the, to vomit to the extent that it came out of his nose and pooled by his mouth and he applied pressure in the, in the above manner despite receiving instructions from medical personnel to release pressure. He was suspended for 16 days. Um, we include some fairly technical discussion of the discipline handbook uh, in the sheriff department that controls the discipline process. It provides the rules that govern um, uh, when deputy sheriffs are to be, sub, uh, to be disciplined, the kinds of rule violations that they should be disciplined for, and the corresponding penalties that are to be imposed for particular kinds of rule violations by deputy sheriffs. And, and it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a fairly techn technical discussion, um, but in, in, in brief, um, the handbook requires the Department of Safety to assign any act of misconduct to one of six disciplinary conduct categories, A through F, based on the seriousness of that misconduct. The penalties associated with the categories range from a written reprimand, if something is assigned to a category A, to dismissal at category F. By rule, inappropriate force can only be assigned to three categories, D through F. In this case, uh, the department found that the deputy used inappropriate force then assigned the misconduct to a category D, the lowest available, before imposing a 16-day suspension, which was close to the bottom of the range of potential penalties for an inappropriate force violation. Um, several factors in this case weighed in favor of assigning a higher disciplinary conduct category. We go through this in, in fairly extensive detail, uh, but again in brief, he, uh, the deputy failed to comply with instructions from medical staff to release pressure from Mr. Marshall. Um, the seriousness of the harm that resulted from the use of inappropriate force uh, 
uh, which in this case was, of course, Mr. Marshall's death. Uh, the very definitions of categories E and F, the higher, con the, the higher categories, they actually discuss misconduct that harmed public safety, while category D discusses misconduct that merely created a serious risk to public safety. Uh, and there are the, the, the relevant language of the conduct categories excerpted on the screen, as you'll see, category D explicitly talks about misconduct that creates a serious risk to deputy sheriff, uh, uh, employee, or public safety. In this case, Mr. Marshall died. It was more than a mere serious risk to his safety. He actually died. We believe that it was an error for the Department of Safety to categorize this in the D category, which uh, by its very terms discusses misconduct uh, that, uh, that created a mere serious risk to sheriff, employee, or public safety. We also discuss in the report the fact that the order of discipline uh, for that deputy sheriff didn't explain why category D was chosen. It simply recited language taken from the very definition of category D. Uh, in the days and weeks after those decisions were made, um, there were numerous newspaper articles. Um, there was an official letter published by the Citizen Oversight Board. Uh, there were questions from the family and others about how this serious use of inappropriate force resulted in a 16-day suspension. And we believe that part of the public confusion about that decision is because it simply wasn't ex explained in the disciplinary order imposing discipline on that deputy sheriff. One of our recommendations in the report is that when misconduct may fall into multiple conduct categories, the Department of Safety should specifically, specifically explain in its order why it chose a particular conduct category so that the public and deputy sheriffs can have an understanding of the basis for the decision. Another issue that we discuss uh, is um, there was another deputy sheriff who was involved in the use of force against Mr. Marshall. Um, he, uh, by his own, uh, his own account, he used a gooseneck control hold on Mr. Marshall. He held Mr. Marshall down by pushing on his left shoulder. He controlled Mr. Marshall's head at various points during the incident. Uh, he said that he, quote, basically told the nurses that we can't put Mr. Marshall in a wheelchair. We need a restraint chair. Uh, that decision uh, to wait for a restraint chair resulted in Mr. Marshall remaining on the floor in the prone position until the restraint chair arrived. Our national standards recommend um, that uh, pre-employment investigations are conducted of all police hires with prior law enforcement experience. Uh, this particular deputy who I'm discussing was hired by the Denver Police Department while he was under criminal investigation for the use of force that resulted in Mr. Marshall's death. Uh, in fact, uh, the Department of Safety permitted him to begin as a recruit officer in the Denver Police Academy three and a half weeks before the district attorney's office announced it its decision not to pursue criminal charges against him. Um, at that time, the internal affairs investigation had not yet begun. And to this day, 
There have been no disciplinary findings regarding his conduct made. We are calling on the Department of Safety in the report to evaluate its hiring procedures for the, the DPD and the DSD to ensure that they do not permit potential recruits to be hired while they are under criminal or administrative investigation. One of the issues that came up uh, in this case was the possibility of uh, excited delirium. Um, the United States Department of Justice defines excited delirium as a physical condition in which a person may exhibit, quote, extreme agitation, bizarre and or violent behavior, imperviousness to pain, exceptional strength and endurance, inappropriate nudity, extreme paranoia, and or incoherent shouting. National standards establish that the failure to recognize symptoms of excited delirium and engaging in a prolonged use of force can significantly increase the likelihood of sudden death. Uh, the city has a protocol for handling, multi, uh, it, it's a multi-agency protocol for handling excited delirium incidents and the sheriff's department is a party to that protocol. Now there was no official finding of excited delirium in this case, uh, yet Mr. Marshall demonstrated indications of potential excited delirium during the incident. He aggressively approached another inmate, he'd taken off his shirt, he didn't comply with commands to stop struggling. Uh, by uh, several accounts, he exhibited extraordinary strength. He grunted and growled during the incident. Um, the deputies had minimal recollection. Now, now, they indicated that they had been trained on the excited delirium protocol. Um, they had minimal recollection uh, of that training uh, and did not generally recognize the potential in indications of excited delirium or act in accordance with the protocol uh, in their handling of this case. We're calling on the Denver Sheriff's Department to provide additional classroom and situation-based training on identifying persons suffering from excited delirium and how to best respond to such incidents. Uh, one of the things that we were really troubled by uh, in this case was the fact that a nurse, several nurses were on the scene uh, and one of the nurses indicated that she, as I've already mentioned, uh, gave instructions or made a request of the deputy sheriff to remove pressure from Mr. Marshall's neck and that those instructions were not, were not heeded. Uh, the Department of Safety found that medical staff instructed a deputy to release pressure because Mr. Marshall was vomiting and medical staff feared that he could aspirate. The deputy responded that, quote, we have to restrain him, he's not being cooperative and continue to apply pressure in the very manner counseled against. Um, I talked about the three sergeants and the captain in the hallway. None of the supervisors attempted to resolve the conflict between the deputy sheriff and the nurse who was raising concerns about Mr. Marshall's well-being. Uh, in fact, there was no evidence that uh, the supervisors were notified that there was this conflict brewing between the medical staff and the security staff. We thought that was a problem. Uh, we're calling on the sheriff department to develop a policy that when time and circumstances permit, supervisors uh, be uh, involved in an attempt to resolve medical and security concerns that may be in conflict and that cannot be resolved by medical staff and deputies alone. 
Uh, now, not every incident will, 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 there won't necessarily be time to involve a supervisor in every incident, but in this case, there was sufficient time. Mr. Marshall was in restraints. A supervisor could have been informed and have gotten involved in resolving the medical concerns that were being raised. We're also calling on the department to train supervisors using this incident as an example, among other incidents, on how to quickly resolve conflicts between medical personnel and security personnel in the jails when time and circumstances permit uh, in order to prevent this kind of uh, unresolved conflict resulting in tragedy to happen again. Um, we believe that uh, the video in this case uh, was, um, there was considerable controversy, I should say, about the video in this case and when it would be released. Uh, national standards recommend that law enforcement agencies release relevant evidence as soon as possible after potentially controversial incidents like deaths in custody. Uh, they also recommend that agencies publish written policies that provide guidelines for the request and release of such evidence. Mr. Marshall's family sought to review video of the incident shortly after the death. An online news site filed a request for the video and other records, and both requests were initially denied. Uh, the news site then filed a lawsuit, and a hunger strike was organized to demand that video. The video was eventually released after the criminal investigation ended. The Department of Safety does not currently have a published policy uh, on how it will approach requests for video and other records after critical incidents like police shootings and deaths in custody. In the report, we call on the Department of Safety to publish written guidelines regarding the release of evidence of critical incidents, including video. The guidelines should balance the need for prompt public transparency with the need for confidentiality during active investigations, among other factors. And they should explain to the extent possible the, the analytical framework that the department will use in evaluating requests for the release of evidence of critical incidents. Finally, uh, the, our, our final finding in the report and our final recommendation um, really is sort of a global concern that we had as we interacted with the department after this incident. Um, after Mr. Marshall's death, it was our perception that some in the department appeared to minimize potential issues with this incident. I've already described uh, some of the evidence of that. Uh, internal affairs attempt to decline the matter without a disciplinary review. Um, it was a sergeant nominating one of the principal deputies involved in the use of force for a life-saving award, even though Mr. Marshall, in fact, had died. It was a former Sheriff's Department trainer who trained other deputies on use of force to prepare them for how to resolve incidents in the jails, who said in sworn testimony that he would like to have the video of this incident for training, purpose, training purposes because this use of force was, quote, done the way we want it done. The, the National Institute of Justice has developed an approach to learning from systemic issues in the criminal justice system. Um, in 2015, outside consultants were brought in to review the operations uh, and internal affairs operations of the Denver Sheriff Department. 
That was an outside consulting firm called the OIR Group. In their report issued to the city in 2015, they recommended that the Sheriff's Department create a committee to review all significant force incidents to identify supervision, policy, or training issues that they present. The Sheriff's Department has not yet fully implemented this system, although we understand the Chief Gary Wilson was recently appointed to implement it. We believe that this incident uh, and, and the examples that I just provided demonstrates the urgency of the Sheriff's Department acting on this 2015 recommendation. In the report, we call on the Sheriff's Department to develop a formal protocol for an enhanced culture of analyzing and learning from critical incidents that happen in Denver's jails. This should include, but not be limited to, immediately prioritizing the development and full implementation of the force review protocol that was previously recommended by the OIR group in 2015. And that concludes my presentation. Uh, uh, thank you very much, uh, Monitor Mitchell. Um, there's no question um, that Mr. Marshall's death is um, very, very difficult for the city, very, very difficult for a lot of people, um, but especially his family. Um, and um, they're here today. Um, and I, I know that uh, one of them is, is wanting to speak to us. Um, and if, if I may indulge you um, to give um, her an opportunity to speak, thank you. Um, thank you, Nick, for all the recommendations. Um, truly appreciate it. Um, my question is, or I have questions, of course. Um, how do we hold them accountable and how do we hold their feet to the fire? Um, especially with like the citizens overboard or review board, uh, being on the review board as well as, uh, I don't know, notifying the family. Um, the way we found out was watching the news. We were at the hospital after the incident took place, but nobody gave us answers, and we didn't know what happened until... Actually, they told us he wasn't there. They actually did. They told us that he wasn't there in the very beginning. Uh, we went home after visiting him throughout the day and found out on the news. So uh, as what far as... Happened? Yeah, that too. As far as um, relieve, um, releasing information to the public, um, no media should ever have to sue for the public to find out what's going on in their city. Like, uh, it's all overwhelming. Like, uh, being here is kind of tough. I'm supposed to be at work right now, and it's just a lot. This is quite overwhelming. But it's like my main concern is how do we hold them to the fire? Like, they're saying that they should use this tape to show people how it should be done. So they're telling us that they're, it's okay. Like, they're going to continue to kill people's family members or people in general. Like, it's okay. And that they're going to continue to do so because they want their officers to be trained on how to commit or continue to commit these fatalities. So... I'm at a loss for words, like even watching this and trying to process this over the week, like it's been rough, very difficult. So how do we, how do we stop it? Like seriously, how do we stop this from happening? 
I really appreciate that question and appreciate that uh, that you're here to ask it and and be a part of this discussion with how hard this this must be for you and and, and other members of your family. Um, I think that um, that's a question that that I, I would pose back to others who are here tonight and members of the Citizen Oversight Board. Um, we have I have no authority to impose changes on the safety department or the sheriff department. The limit of my authority is to enhance transparency, to produce recommendations that we believe will help. They may not be the only recommendations, there are thoughts. Um, that is the limit of my authority. As to uh, how to hold people's feet to the fire, uh, I would I would reflect that question back. I think there are people with maybe greater expertise on that on this board and in and in this crowd tonight uh, who may be able to provide some more insight into that issue. We did distribute um, for the purposes of uh, transparency about not only our perspective but also the Department of Safety's perspective. We did distribute the Department of Safety's formal response to this report. It's on the table outside uh, that you passed when you came in. It was a several page letter that included the response by the Department of Safety to our recommendations. We also included it as an appendix at the back of the report uh, and, um, and, and you may evaluate that in thinking through this question about what comes next, uh, we thought it was important for you to understand what the department has indicated, what they've committed to, what they have not committed to uh, in response to this report. I did want to say for the purposes of uh, clarity, the individual who said that um, the use of force was done the way we want it done is no longer, my understanding is that he is no longer a trainer in the sheriff department, that he was, um, removed from his position as a use of force trainer uh, after those remarks were made public. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and thank you also. Thank you, Natalia. There's supposed to be someone 24 hours inside of the jail right now that is um, supposed to monitor anybody with mental health or experiencing any mental health issues. Is that taking place? Do you know if that's going on right now? Because that was due to the settlement. That's right. Yeah, I don't know whether that's going on right now. I will tell you that um, due to your efforts and the uh, efforts of uh, whoever you were negotiating with on behalf of the city, my understanding is that there will be a compliance review, a periodic compliance review of the terms of the settlement. So there is a consultant who has been or will be hired by the city to come in periodically and determine whether the sheriff's department is adhering to the terms that you negotiated in that settlement. And one of those terms is providing those 24-hour mental health professionals. So I expect that in the future, there will be a report or several reports provided by an outside expert as to whether or not the city has fulfilled that obligation. Okay, because we were told that they did, and that's why, I, and I'm not at the jail, so I don't know if it's happening yeah. for sure or not. So mm -hmm. I was, that was a big concern of my family and I. Yes. 
Yeah, I, I, your, your questions are, are, are right in line with um, why we wanted to cover this issue in this form. Um, there's no question that the monitor's findings are extremely concerning. Um, you know, and the, the board, the, the OIM, um, we've been aware of this and watching this. Um, and um, one of the reasons the board asked the monitor to um, prepare this report is because we felt like the community needed to know, um, like really needed to understand. Um, and now we're here and we have this information. We have a, a monitor who's been very thorough, I mean, a 75 page report um, to give us all the details. Um, and we have recommendations, um, thorough, thoughtful recommendations about how we could go about this. And your, so your question is, is exactly the question that the board is asking and that we're asking ourselves. And frankly, we're asking you um, and what we can do about it. Um, I do think that there are some specific points in um, the monitor's report that um, we should probably um, try to flesh out. I personally have a couple of questions and I, when I was speaking with other board members, I, I believe they do. And, and, and so um, if you'll indulge us, I, uh, I think if the monitor might, if you could clarify a couple of things for us, um, that, that would be, be great. Um, for, for me, I'm very concerned about the discipline issue. Um, you know, the, I guess I, I really want to understand um, what thoughts you have around how it's inconsistent um, and sometimes there's no discipline, um, not only in this case, but just in, in, in general. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that's a, a great question. Um, it's a complicated question. You know, as I said, there is a discipline handbook that provides the rules that govern the discipline process. Um, it's potentially subject to multiple interpretations, um, uh, and, uh, and and you know it. There can there can be inconsistency in the discipline. We believe that it was inconsistent in this case to discipline uh, even with the, the short suspensions that were imposed on the deputy sheriffs while allowing the sergeants who supervised the use of force to be undisciplined. We believe that was inherently inconsistent. Uh, and was problematic uh, on appeal. These, any suspension that's imposed right. or any other discipline that's imposed um, is also appealable to the Denver Career Service Board and actually the suspensions that were imposed as short as they may have been were overturned on appeal. So the current state of affairs is that there was no discipline uh, for any of the personnel who were involved in this incident. Now, the, the, there's a, there are other layers of review, uh, and it's my understanding that the city has appealed from uh, the overturning of those suspensions. So uh, that is now on appeal to the full Career Service Board. But when we talk about inconsistency, there are a lot of layers to the disciplinary review that uh, we probably would need to talk about. Thank you. Uh, are there, there any other questions from board member? Uh, Pastor? I guess my statement is more to us as citizens and also of the Citizen Oversight Board that there need to be some changes um, in the charter to actually make the Office of Independent Monitor independent yeah. with subpoena power. Yeah. 
And, uh, and I think that's incumbent upon all of us to, uh, to do what we can to make that happen. And, uh, and I think as we break out into various groups, uh, we can talk about it more in detail. Anyone else? Um, in the interest of time, um, we're going to, I think it's, it's helpful for us to, to if we could, um, try to move forward with, to, to, I think we want looking for information back from you all to, to really see how we might be able to implement these recommendations. And so if you have comments or questions, um, let's try to bring those up to get out in our, in our groups. I will tell you that the monitor w will make himself available. And, and so if there's a specific question you have for him, um, you, you will be able to ask him. I, I'm sure there are questions. Um, but when we think about how to move forward, and you know, we're really interested in hearing your responses to what the monitor has shared with us, and then also your thoughts on how we actually implement these recommendations. Um, and so I, I think at this point, I wanna say, first say, um, I think this concludes our televised portion of, of this session, but we want all of you who are present here to, to stay with us um, and, and, and allow us the opportunity to speak with you uh, in small groups and, and really, um, dig into this information.